Good evening, Refuge Church. Um, I'm Scott Morrison. I'm the recovery outreach leader here at Refuge Church. Um, and I know we've prayed a lot tonight, but I just want to say a quick prayer before I get started. Father God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for each and everyone that's here tonight. Um, I pray that you would just touch each heart, make each heart an open listening heart tonight. I pray that your agenda, not mine, will come through these words tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so um, I'm going to be taking a look at the scripture we actually read, that was read tonight before the Reckless Love Song tonight, which is uh, Luke chapter 15, um, verses 1 through 10. Um, these verses precede the story of the prodigal son, but they're two very important stories um, on their own because they use like different metaphors and I don't know, I've been living in these 10 verses for the past three weeks and just reading them every day and, and then pulling them apart and they really have opened my eyes to um, how much that God truly loves us. So what I'd like to do tonight is just unpack these verses um, just so we can fully understand you know, the meaning of them and break them down. So I did some research and found that um, in the scripture, um, Jesus is telling the stories he told about the sheep and he told about the coin. He was believed to be teaching these parables or stories in Perea. So um, before the Feast of Dedication, and the Feast of Dedication, he was traveling to Jerusalem. The Feast of Dedication was like an eight-day Jewish holiday commemorating the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem, 165 B.C., so he was on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate this very holy holiday and had stopped to have, have some dinner with, with some people, with some locals. Um, and it would make sense, you know, that the Pharisees were on their way to Jerusalem to do the same thing, to go to the same dinner or to, to go to the same feast of dedication. And so they kind of crossed paths where they saw Jesus over here eating with some, some people and they kind of gathered around and like, what's up? So, um, I'm going to go ahead and start reading the first scripture. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And that's Luke 1 and 2 from the New International Version. So, these Pharisees are like these religious teachers that they live and die by the law. And if someone doesn't step up to the law, then they instantly put him in this box of somebody that's undesirable. And they've been following Jesus around for a long time and just waiting for him to slip up because they were getting upset that he was gaining so much traction with his teaching. So, um, so he's eating. They see Jesus eating with these sinners and these uh, tax collectors. Um, now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to eat with somebody, I've got to enjoy their company. You know, I've got to enjoy the conversation. I have to be able to identify with them on some level. I'm not going to, you know, say yes to a dinner with someone like that I hardly even know and just show up and have that uncomfortable silence. If you invite me to dinner tonight and I say yes, then I'm okay with you. So <laughs> think about that. So, uh, so just as I imagine how Jesus felt, I could imagine that he enjoyed being around these these people because they were genuine. He didn't enjoy being around the Pharisees so much because they weren't genuine. They always had this agenda. They were always looking for a way to, um, to, to just 
twist Jesus' words, or they were doing things like uh, big displays of holiness where they would pray aloud and, and thank God that they weren't like these people who were these sinners and tax collectors. So, so the Pharisees stumbled upon Jesus eating with people of poor reputation that others wouldn't want to eat with. So, but Jesus didn't give it a second thought. He's like, these are people that need to be loved. So the tax collectors in those days, they were allowed to charge as much as they wanted to. So they could charge as much as they wanted to, to pad their own pockets, and give what was required to the government. So it made people feel like they were being violated by some government-protected thieves, which they were. So the tax collectors probably didn't have a lot of friends. The shepherds may have been among the sinners group, because the shepherds' duties kept them on the fields 24-7, watching their sheep, so they never got to the temple, so they were considered ceremonially unclean. Um, so they were considered people of poor reputation. So when the Pharisees and teachers of the law pointed out Jesus' social imperfection, they were gossiping about him with earshot. So they, say, they muttered, they didn't even confront him directly. So they were like, look at this character, he's eating with these lowlifes over here. So in their muttering, they criticized Jesus' love for people. What follows are the two stories was a response to the Pharisees. So Jesus responds in these stories. He knows the Pharisees are listening to him because he hears their gossip. So he's like, well, I'll just use this as a teaching moment. And so he does that exactly. Grab some water here. And in the next scripture, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? That's uh, from Luke 15.4. It's not weird that sheep would be lost or that a shepherd would look for the lost sheep. What is unusual is that a shepherd would leave behind the 99 and search for the one. So let's take a look at some interesting reasons of why sheep are used as comparison to us in the Bible. So I'm going to take you um, through Sheep 101 here. So get ready to learn. So sheep have no sense of direction. They will follow whoever is leading them, even if it leads them off a cliff. In fact, there is this article, and I don't have a slide for it, but July of 2005, 1,500 sheep dove off a cliff because they couldn't see in front of them. One sheep went off the cliff, and they all followed. 500 sheep died. The other sheep did not die because the cushion of the sheep's bodies kept them from dying. But just think about that. You don't see where you're going. You're following the people ahead of you. You're thinking, oh, they know where they're going, so I'm going to follow them. And Guess what? They don't know where they're going either. You know, I've been in that boat before where I've just done what the crowd's doing, and it, it's just led me into a place of destruction. Sheep are defenseless. I love this slide, actually. <laughs> because we, uh, when sheep are frightened and they run away, they, uh, they run, I'm sorry, when their sheep are frightened, they run away. But to protect their young, they also kick. So running away and kicking are the extent of their arsenal. And I imagine it's like a buck away and then running. Sometimes I've seen sheep on their hind legs kind of kicking. I don't know, but it can't be that threatening when you have something with 
uh, woolly full with trying to kick you and um, it's running away at the same time. So that's the same way that, you know, we sometimes go out every day. We go out defenseless. We don't spend time praying to God before we leave the house. Um, pretty active in the recovery programs here at Refuge Church in AA, and that's one of the things they teach us in the program is you pray the first thing every day. You pray the last thing every day. It's the first thing I do. Like, I don't even go pet my dog. <laughs> because what happens is if I go pet my dog and go brush my teeth and I go downstairs and I feed the dog and I walk the dog and I go to the gym, and guess what? I haven't started my day off right. I have started my day off without any defense. Sheep can't get up without help. This is true. I did not know this until I started, you know, researching sheep. So when a sheep turns over, they can't get back up. They actually need someone to help them get up, a shepherd. An old English term for this is cast down. So they would say the sheep is cast down. And if a cast down sheep is not put on its feet, it dies because a wolf comes along or another prey or it just starves because it can't literally get itself back up on its feet on its own. That's just like us too. We think we've got everything handled. We think we can do it on our own, and then we find ourselves on our back with our feet flailing in the air, making some ba noise, and uh, <laughs> nobody <laughs> is in earshot, and we're just sitting there waiting to be devoured. Sheep recognize the shepherd's voice, so this is actually a good thing. So this is where sheep are actually smart. They have an instinct for knowing the voice of their shepherd. In John 10, 27, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and follow me. In that song, Reckless Love, we sang earlier tonight, it said, Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. The shepherd's voice is singing over you. Even if you haven't come to a faith in God, there's always a voice, and you might call it a voice of reason, that you hear in the back of your head when you know stuff's going down, it's not a good idea. That's the shepherd's voice. We who have been in the faith and, and practice prayer every day, we also know that voice. We know the voice that's saying, hey, did you pray today? Or you find out halfway through the day you didn't pray today because your day is going so crappy. Sheep are not to meant carry heavy thing, to carry heavy things. It's poor sheep. He really needs a haircut. Um, this is an Australian sheep. I think they, they produce a lot more wool than the normal sheep. But they have these little legs, these like tiny legs. They, to carry this, this big old wool, and they have to wait for that weight to be taken off of them. See what I did there? Wait for that weight? <laughs> they have to get shaved. They have to get that weight taken off of them. Their legs are tiny. In Psalm 55, 22, it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. But like sheep, we just wobble around with this big, big pack on our back waiting for somebody to unload that, that pack. And we, you know, we don't do anything to try ourselves. We just sit there 
in our pride, we might say, oh, I got this. I got all this stuff that's on my back, but that's not necessarily so. Sheep will settle for less. So when thirsty, sheep will stop at a dirty puddle right in front of them rather than go for clean water a few feet away from them. So they they settle for, they're content with uh, less as long as it satisfies the moment. And I totally identify with this, right? That quick, like, fix of the day. Um, like, okay, this will get me through my moment. I didn't pray today, but um, here's a cup of coffee. This will make me feel energized. I mean, that's a simple way of looking at it. Or I didn't, um, I just didn't, didn't follow through with what I said I would do, so um, I feel bad about myself, so I'll use this to escape that situation, whether it's going to the store, spending a lot of money on my credit card, um, or, you know, drinking way too much or something like that. I've escaped that situation by settling for something less. When God's saying, you're drinking from this muddy puddle right now. Here's a beautiful lake over here. But you saw the muddy puddle first, so you're content to drink from that mud. Sheep are valuable. So back in biblical times, if you had like 20 sheep, you were high on the hog. This, this shepherd had 100. They were, um, they were valuable products for meat, milk, and wool. So they were like as much, many sheep as you had, you were like... Yeah, how many sheep do you got, Sam? I got 20. Well, I got 50. You know, that's what you brag about to people. Um, That would be the measure of your wealth. So losing that one sheep out of the hundred was a big deal. So that shepherd leaves behind those 99 sheep that are safe. He notices that he has one that's missing. Sheep can't care for themselves when wounded. This is the most... Uh, pleasant pick I could find of a wooden sheep. <laughs> um, I found some that weren't so pleasant, so I didn't use those. But they need a shepherd to tend to their injuries. So like, if you have a dog and your dog gets hurt, you'll notice the dog licks its wounds to help it to heal. Sheep don't. They just sit there, they bleed. They don't have that mechanism in Psalm 147.3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. So sheep need that shepherd to tend to their injuries. So here we have this one sheep that is straight away from the flocks. It's defenseless. It doesn't know what danger lurks. And the best arsenal it has is kicking and running away. It sounds solid. <laughs> the shepherd knows that his sheep is valuable, even though it's only one. The next scripture, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. We already know that we as sheep have no sense of direction because we settle for less when there is glory to be found. We find ourselves cast down, living, uh, lying on our backs with our feet in the air. We can't get up. We're lying there helpless. We're waiting for a wolf or other wild beasts to just come by and eat us all up. But as we are lying there, crying in our own filth and wounded, the shepherd comes along and puts us on his shoulders. 
I mentioned previously that we were never built for, you know, carrying stuff. If you've ever seen a sheep with a full coat, they look a little top-heavy. Anything that's placed upon their back will definitely cause them to cave and collapse. As sheep, we clearly skip leg day. And I'm not all about that. I like doing legs, so. And I hurt myself last week, but I'm doing better now. We heard in the uh, other song tonight, um, you say that he holds us when we fall short. This is a perfect example of how the sheep or the shepherd carries us, even though when we're imperfect. We have those dirty hooves, we have a dirty wool, and the shepherd just puts us around his shoulders. He doesn't say, you stink, I'm not picking you up. Your hooves are dirty, I'm not going to carry you. That's not what he does. Without hesitation, he finds it and he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. There's no hesitation. And goes home and calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. The good shepherd takes the sheep home and when they get there, there's no punishment for walking away, there's simply joy. The shepherd is so happy that he's found his sheep that he calls his friends. He's like, I found my sheep. And he probably didn't use a phone back then, but he tells his neighbors, he runs to the next hut or the cave or whatever they're living in or the um, lanai. I don't know. But they tell, I found my sheep. Like, we didn't even know I lost it, but, <laughs> you know. Um, now, when I was a small child, uh, that's me, <laughs> I used to, that's like three or four, maybe five, I used to uh, wander a lot. Like, I would be outside, I'd be like a dog, and I'd see a squirrel, and I'd chase it. I wouldn't see a squirrel, but i just wander off. I'm like, well, this, my yard's boring, I'm just going to keep walking. And so I didn't really run away, I just walked, walked off. And, um, in Crandon, Wisconsin, there's a police station that has, uh, interestingly enough, like a, they used to, they probably don't anymore, they used to have this bear in the back, um, and it was in a fenced area, it just wasn't in the back, but <laughs> um, they would take kids to go see it, and there was a petting zoo, and I remember I walked to the police station, and they took me out to the petting area, and they took me to meet the little bear, I think it was a little bear, it wasn't like a grizzly or anything, and they asked where I lived, and I'm like four or five. I had no idea. But it's a small town. So the police puts me in the car, drives me around, and I finally recognize my house. And I remember my mom would come out in tears. And it's, when I say my mom would come out in tears, I mean, this happened a lot. Like once I learned I got to go to a petting zoo with the police, <laughs> I would run away a lot. So I was very valuable to my mom. When she ran out of that house, I'm sure I caused her a lot of anxiety and worry, but she would call people, I found him. Well, she didn't find me, I found her, but you know, I found my son. And uh, she would put me in the corners. That was her you know, punishment. Wait till your dad gets home, go stand in the corner, you know, which sucked because I like to wander and standing somewhere was a worse punishment than getting spanked, you know, so. In my mom's case, I think there was, you know, some punishment that involved staying in the corner. However, when the shepherd finds his sheep and returns home, there is not punishment that's mentioned in this verse. There's only 
celebration. I think as we realize that we've wandered and we've walked away and we come back to the fold and we hang our head because we feel like we deserve some kind of punishment. We feel like we're being judged by other people. That's not, that's all us. That's what the enemy wants us to believe. That's not what God the Father, are you sure my time's good? Is, that's not what's going on at all. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who does not repent. Jesus knows the importance of leaving, or importance of leaving those behind who are already safe to seek those who are in danger. The return home doesn't come, out, come without some type of expectation of a behavior change on the sheep's part, though. We see that in the verse, this verse, repent was used. This has always been like a tough word for me because when I think of the word repent, I think of crazy people with picket signs that are persecuting the marginalized or usually like repent or die or the end is near, repent. And it just brings up all these negative feelings. And like a good researcher, I went to the dictionary and the definition is there to turn from sin and dedicate oneself to the amendments of one's life, to cause or to feel regret or contrition, to feel sorrow, regret, or contrition for. So I grew up the son of a fiery Pentecostal preacher. I mean, like his dad would run the aisles while he preached, and he'd wave a handkerchief. <laughs> and, and then my dad would do the same thing, and it was just all this, like, uh, fire brimstone, and we were in church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. If there was church all week long, we were in church every night. That's just the way it happened. Um, but I remember one Sunday morning, my dad told us, don't use this door. I'm going to go to the church. I've got to fix this door. Don't use it. I saw my two brothers outside playing and I wanted to go play with my brothers. And the reason he didn't want us to use this big, heavy oak door is because it was off its hinges. So I pulled the door onto myself and broke my collarbone. And my mom was there alone with the kids because my dad had already gone to the church. So she did what any good preacher's wife would do. She took me to the ER and then immediately took me to church. It's like, I couldn't. <laughs> so I'm in church and I have this arm cast. It's like propped up. My arms in the entire cast. But in my family's eyes, it was a sin if they missed church, even if your, your child was sick. They were feared the judgments of the people around them. They're like, oh, the preacher can't come to, kids can't come to church. Why can't they come to church? It's like living in a fishbowl. And I remember hearing the idea of what repentance was in that church. It was the idea of go and sin no more. Like once you come back, Ask for forgiveness. Don't do it again. We had a term for that in the church, the church I went to. It was called backsliding. And I've always had a negative. Has anyone else ever heard of that? I hate it. <laughs> I just feel like it has this negative connotation to it. I remember we used to play sorry a lot when I was a kid. It was this board game, sorry. And you could make people move back with a card. And my brothers and sisters would call it the backsliding card. <laughs> and it was just horrible because it would be like, ha, you backslid. 
And it was just this horrible negative connotation to it. So there wasn't a lot of grace represented to me and that what I was taught. I had a great upbringing in the church, but at the same time, a solid foundation. But we sing that song, Amazing Grace, tonight. It says, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It doesn't say how precious did the grace appear once I checked all the boxes, I cleaned off my hooves, I um, was all stitched up. Then I was good enough for God to love me. That's not what it says. But that's how I felt. I had to relearn the dynamics of my relationship with God from what I was taught when I was a young age. And I also went through a lot as an adult to learn that his grace is sufficient for my imperfect repentance. And I call it imperfect repentance, and I'll tell you why. Just last year, after a two-year run with with sobriety and being free from alcohol, I chose to wander off and rationalize my behavior because I would convince myself I was under too much pressure, that I needed a break, rather than go to that beautiful lake that was clear, I stopped at some dirty water. And I was content with that dirty water because it calmed things down for the moment. But then chaos happened. Luckily, the seeds of repentance that I had planted when I first got sober would not get out of my heart. We have a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous that there's nothing worse than a belly full of booze and a head full of AA. Like, you know what the right thing is to do. But you're, you're going out there and you're running crazy. And so it's not like you're, woo-hoo-hoo, I'm drunk. <laughs> it's like, I'm drunk. You know, it's, it's not a, that great of a feeling. So when I say imperfect repentance, what I'm saying is that I make the choice to walk away from the love and the peace I'd known, but the life I lived when I was in the fold and I was around that love planted the seeds so that it's easier for me to come back. If we are sheep, as Jesus compares us to, he knows we're going to feel regret for the bad choices we've made. He knows that we will will most likely wander away from the 99 again, maybe not far as far next time, maybe farther than we did last time. It's not a surprise to him. He's already seen what we're, we're about to do, what we're about to do later tonight, what we're about to do tomorrow morning. The point is he celebrates our homecoming, even though he knows our journey will be full of bumps in the road where we return to sin and be carried home again. Fortunately, Christ, he's not keeping score. He's not, well, you've messed up seven times and you're done now. You had your chance. And his response is never like, I told you so, or good luck. You deserve this. That's not his response. But what happens is he places us on his shoulders. He brings us home, dirty hoods and all, calls the neighbors lets him know that his lost sheep has come home. Let's take the next story, a look at the next story that follows. In Luke 15, 8, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. So, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. So possibly this coin was part of a garment that married women used to wear in the 
biblical times, would go around their head, their forehead, and it would be made of 10 coins, and it would be like, this is how you would know this is a married woman. So she lost this coin off of what's called a drachma, and suddenly she can't wear this anymore. So she's freaking out. It's like she lost her wedding ring. The drachma was a huge part of a woman's identity, and it signified that she belonged to a man, her husband. Um, it was on this blog I read about surprising lessons from women <laughs> lost coin, but, you know, um, it makes a lot of sense to me. Why was she so panicked? Because she has 90 cents or whatever she got, and she only lost 10 cents. But no, this was like, this was her bond with her husband. And now that symbol of the bond was incomplete. So I don't have a wedding ring. That's not, I'm not asking for dates. I'm just saying I don't have a wedding ring. So I don't know the panic if you lose your wedding ring. You know, I've worked out at the gym with buddies who take their wedding ring off so they can lift heavy. And I have seen the panic and utter look of shock and worry in their eyes when they cannot find their ring. And I can imagine that is the same way that this woman feels. This is how Christ view us, views us. So, um, I jumped ahead. But she's got these, these 10 coins. She loses one, but that's still her coin. My friends at the gym, they lose their wedding ring, but that's still their wedding ring. It's not like it's somebody else's wedding ring or somebody else's coin because they no longer have it in their possession. And that's how Christ views us. He, we may be lost, but we still belong to him. In John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. In the next part of the verse, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? So have you ever tried to find something without turning the lights on? Unless it's a Lego your child left on the floor and you're barefoot, you're probably not going to find, find the Lego. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was a big light bright guy. I don't know how many had light bright when they were a kid, right? They had those like pegs. I used to lose those on the floor all the time, and my parents would always find them by vacuuming or by barefoot. It's almost the same pain, I imagine. I've stepped on it a few times, too. So I was a big light bright guy, but in this instant, the instance, the woman had the light, the lamp. She had to take initiative. She had to light the lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully. I don't know about you, but when my life is in chaos and I need to get back on the right path, nothing works better and faster for me than a true friend who is willing to share the light. And it doesn't happen when someone asks me, how are you? Because that's easy for me to brush off. It happens when somebody says, Scott, I've noticed that you're not acting right. I noticed that you're um, slacking off in this area or this area. Tell me what's wrong now. And that's that can be hard to do for somebody. That can be a light that's harsh. You know when you're in the dark sometimes, in the middle of the night and you turn on the light to go to the bathroom or whatever you gotta do, it takes me a second. That's exactly what I would equate that, that to. I need somebody to bring that light 
Sometimes it's harsh, sometimes it's hard to take, but usually it's the only thing that gets my attention. It's not this like, how are you? Fine, okay, <laughs> you know. So the story here indicates a thorough search. The woman here is not lazy. Her intent is to find the missing coin. So how many times have we known someone that's in trouble? What lengths are we willing to go to? And I just talked about that a little bit, but like I myself, like text somebody, how are you doing? Well, I know I, don't, I haven't heard from them. So they're probably not doing that well and they don't respond and I'm like, nah, I tried. You know, and that's, that's the extent I go to sometimes. But Jesus is saying, that coin is so precious, it's precious to him that he turns that light on and that he sweeps the floor and that he seeks. So we might actually need to leave our comfort zone people to help others that we're really worried about. It might take us actually talking on one of these, making a phone call <laughs> instead of just a check. Oh, I liked your reply. Uh, I liked your post, so I guess you're okay. No, it might take a phone call. It might be like, hey, let's meet for coffee. And when she, needs to find, or when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. So when the coin was finally found, the woman was happy. In the same way, God is happy when sinners repent. In contrast to the religious leaders and Pharisees who complained when the tax collectors and the sinners were eating with Jesus. So we don't often think of God as rejoicing, at least not the way I was brought up. <laughs> but this passage, these passages tell us other circumstances. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It's Isaiah 62, 5. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. It's hard for me to grasp that I'm that valuable to God that he rejoices over me. I don't, sometimes, you know, I get, no, I'm not that important. You know, it's hard for me to think the creator of the universe rejoices over me. When you're having a bad week and you're not feeling right, know that God is rejoicing over you. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just as this sheep was celebrated, so is the coin. Just as the sheep may have imperfect repentance, so does a lost person who has, was in the darkness, but now has had that light shut up on the floor. It's been swept up. So what do we do with these, these stories that Jesus told us? They are great in demonstrating the lengths that Christ was willing to go to bring us back, but we can also learn from them. We, as followers of Christ, are called to be like him. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
so that we could walk in them. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ who loved you, loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So we all have friends and family we know that used to walk closely with God and something's happened that has broken down their faith. They used to be happy grazing in the pasture with everybody else. But circumstances have changed that maybe it was the death of a close family member. I mean, I can think of back to the day, you know, when my father passed away, you know, I kind of was a mess anyway. So I was already out. But when my mom passed away, that kind of like, like, okay, my dad was a jerk sometimes, so I understand, God, why you might have saw fit to take him. But my mom, she was a beautiful woman. How could you take that woman? Then I kind of like grew a little colder, stepped away. So that happened with me. Perhaps you might have put your trust in somebody who claimed to be someone they weren't. So maybe somebody who was, who was, who you thought was following Christ closely and something happened. Some news came out. You had put this person on a pedestal and you're hoping that person. And now you've lost your hope because that person didn't turn out what they pretended to be. Maybe it's something as simple as daily struggles that have become bigger and they have eventually walked, you've walked away now to seek the comfort in the temporary dirty puddle rather than the clear oasis. Perhaps you don't, you've never had a relationship with God. You're not sure what to think of the Bible, of a man that lived so long ago and would just break out in a story. But that same man, Jesus, has left the religious crowd and has chosen to come and eat with you, even though you might have wandered off. You know in their heart there's so much more to life, and then you're currently settling for less. You've lost your sense of direction, and the load you're trying to carry, it's just not cutting it anymore. So my hope is tonight that you'll be open yourself to the possibility of hearing the shepherd's voice. And hear him telling me, you how much you are loved, how much he's rejoicing over you. He rejoices over you daily, hourly, every minute. And that he would love to do what this man in this picture is doing, which is put you on his shoulders and carry you home. Perhaps you're a believer who has wandered off just like the sheep in the story. Know this also, that the Father wants to find you and put you on his shoulders and carry you home. And when you get there, celebration's gonna be great. Those who have been praying for you, there will be rejoicing. You don't need to clean off your hooves or stand in the corner in order to be found. You just have to be willing to be rescued. So for those of you that are in the 99 group, everything's peachy king, <laughs> which, how do you do it, right? Um, 
I encourage you tonight to become a willing member of that search party. Because you can't just leave it up to the people that are, they may always be active and always may be doing something. God needs you to make that phone call. God needs you to set up that lunch meeting to let people know that they are loved and that they are cared for. So I encourage you to stop being content with being a bystander and help the shepherd by diligently searching and bringing light to those lost coins and those sheep that are on their backs with their feet up with their wounds that they can't tend to. Father, thank you for this evening and in your word. I pray that if my, what I had to say just connected with one person, that um, they would seek out, they would be open and honest with the next person that talks to them and that you would just provide that opportunity to us. I pray that you would give those who don't want to be bystanders anymore but want to be part of the search party, I pray that you would give them a deep capacity to love others, to love others that are wounded, to love others that are hurting. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, hey, next week we're going to have a baby dedication. I'm going to be preaching on the Last Supper and the last temptation of Christ leading us towards Easter. And then Easter week we're going to look at the last breath of Jesus moving to the Christ, our leader, our Messiah, our Savior. So we hope you come back uh, for a part of that. God bless. Love you all. See you next week. Did I pledge my allegiance for the purpose of progress to a priest or a prophet?